Hello, welcome to this special episode of the Chichester Festival Theatre podcast, recorded live in the Minerva Theatre with a lovely studio audience. So hello to you all, thank you all for coming today. I'm George Bailey, I'm the host of the series, uh, the TFT podcast. This is the 15th episode, I believe. Um, and I'm really excited about this bumper edition that we've got. We've got some really cool guests coming on um, and we'll be doing some discussions and you'll also get a chance to win some prizes in a bit, in a little quiz round. Um, and you'll also get a chance to ask your own questions at the end of the episode as well. Um, so to ease us in today, um, waiting eagerly to my left hand side, very patiently, I'll shut up in a minute, Kathy, don't worry, <laughs> um, is Kathy Bourne, who is our brand new executive director at the theatre working alongside Daniel Evans. Um, it's lovely to have you. Today, Thank you Kathy. very much for having um, me. And you're no stranger to Chichester, are you? So you've worked here a few times before. Yeah, so I joined Chichester Festival Theatre in 2006 and at the time I was living in Brighton and we moved across to Chichester and I knew that there was only one place to, to work in this area and I never thought for a minute it would come up as an opportunity, but it did. Um, so I joined as the producer, one of the producers in the producing team. And as a producer, your job is to, you basically are given the, pro the, 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 the product, you're given the show and you, you put it on. So you do all the background stuff. So the artistic director is responsible for deciding what it is is going to be programmed here. And then he go, that's what we're doing. There you go, put it on. So you're doing a lot of coordination. You are responsible for the budgeting of that. You're responsible for working to get the creative team involved. And then you follow it through to the, to the rehearsals and getting everybody down to Chichester. And then you're, you're round and about during the technical rehearsals and seeing it come onto the stage. Mm. So it's a really, really exciting opportunity. And when I joined in 2006, the theatre wasn't in the best place financially. It was in, a, in quite a, a precarious place. So I didn't know whether I'd, it was a long-term job or just a, a year. Um, but it lasted for 10 years, which says a lot about this place and, and, and how much it grew over that time. So yeah, so mm. I was here then and then I left and went into the West End for three years and now I'm back. There you go. And what's it like being back? Have things changed since you've been away? Yeah, I, I, they have changed and, and a lot for the better. Mm. I mean, the great thing is that I'm returning to a team of people who I worked with before who are all fantastic at what they do. So reigniting relationships with people, working with people who I, I, I love to work with is a, is a blessing. Um, it's, cha it, it's changed in terms of what we do on the stage. So the programming has changed and that's very exciting. When the last uh, artistic director was here, uh, with his executive director, there was a real focus on making sure that the organisation was sustainable financially. And we're in, on, on good even footing right now, which has allowed Daniel to look at changing some of the program we, programming that we do to make it more inclusive and diverse and give us an opportunity to think about who it is we're wanting to attract into the theatre. So we have a very, very loyal following uh, here and are and, and, and incredible supporters of the Festival Theatre and Minerva Theatre. But we know that we're, we need to ensure that the next generation and the next generation support us too and like the work that we're doing. So we have to make sure that the programming uh, is, is, is attractive to everybody. So that's brilliant because I think Daniel's programming over the last, last couple of years has been, I don't know how, how many people have seen what they've seen here, but it's been much more diverse. Mm. It's uh, some of it much more edgy which is what we want to encourage. Mm, fab, and I think you're doing a splendid job of it so mm, far. Yeah. Um, and so, in terms of the executive director role, what is your kind of day-to-day, -day, like what does it entail, the actual roles and responsibilities? Um, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so the day-to-day, -day, it's, so it's the business side of the partnership. Mm. So Daniel's job as artistic director is to look at what we programme principally. 
My job is then to take that and, and turn it into a, a model financially that's going to work for us. Um, the, the job's great because you're involved in everything. So it's not only about what's going on on the stage and the shows that we're doing, because we also have a producer's team, the job that I did before, leading on all of that. But the job is also to work with development, it's to work with marketing, it's to work with finance team, to make sure the rest of the organisation is running as smoothly as possible and to em empower the, 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 the people who work here to do the jobs to, to, their, to their very best. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a weird one because it's not necessarily something that you can get a qualification to do. You know, I was just talking to someone uh, just now came in to have a chat with me about career progression and for me it's always been about having a real passion for theatre. I didn't ever, I, I, I did a postgraduate in, in, in arts management, I didn't ever think that this would necessarily be my journey. What I did know is that I definitely wanted to work in theatre and once I'd made that decision and I decided that I wasn't going to be a performer and that was because, probably because I wasn't good enough, but also because, it was definitely because I wasn't good enough, um, but, but also because it felt a very uh, reactive job, so you can't necessarily, it's really hard to make that happen for yourself. You have to be right place, right time, and I'm sure these guys will talk to you about that uh, as well in, in, in a bit. But I decided I wanted to go into producing and the other side of it, and once I'd done that, the, the, the multitude of opportunities and, and career opportunities available to you are huge absolutely huge mm. so uh, the one piece of advice I'd been given about running a building was that it, it's it, it's helpful to keep on that administration route rather than digress into different departments whether it be development or marketing etc that actually having a focus on mm. on this journey and producing would be a good route forward into 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 my world great and and yeah in terms of that so as well as you spoke about a bit so you, you want to be a performer maybe a while ago, and then uh, sorry, that's not really rude. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. A time. long time ago, <laughs> um, and then you sort of fell into producing and all that. Mm. And did you go to your postgraduate with producing in mind, or was it more? Of yeah, a it was just knowing that it was going to be. It was the, the so the course. So I did, I did a degree in English, and then and then I went on and did a postgraduate, having actually paid off my debts first doing uh, management consultancy kind of digression but then saw a course in post a postgraduate course in arts management that just seemed to fulfill all of those other fulfill every other possibility which wasn't to do with being on the stage so produce you know looking at things from the other side and getting a, a and finance was very much part of that Finance is actually quite a big part of this job, but you don't have to be brilliant at maths to do it. You, you, you don't. You need to be able to look at numbers and understand numbers. Mm. Um, so it just I, I was then given the opportunity as part of that postgraduate course to do a, a work placement at the Dublin Theatre Festival. And then I was working as very much part of a small team, mm. which allowed me to get involved in all areas, and it kind of went, went from there. Okay. Um, and so coming on to like this season, the one thing I'm really excited about is the Spiegel tent, and I'm mm. sure quite a lot of people are mm. as well. Um, it, can you tell us anything about what might be coming up in the Spiegel tent for 16 to 25 year olds at all? I'm looking at it? the marketing director, director <laughs> of marketing to say not really. Well, we all know that um, Sing Your Heart Out for the Lads is going into it, and that's where the idea of the Spiegel tent started. So we wanted it, it we were unsure as to whether it would be best placed to sit in on this stage it felt quite edgy and we so we and we had quite a lot that we wanted to program uh, in the season that so which meant that we probably had just one too many so the idea came about to create a separate a separate 
safer space, for want of a better word, for that particular show, which is a site-specific show, which means that we're creating a pub, it's, it's, it's set in a pub, so we're creating a pub within that venue. And from that, we began to think about what else we could do within that with that within that venue that was a bit different from what we usually program in both the festival and the and, and the Minerva Theatre. It's part of our journey uh, in terms of wanting to encourage uh, a different audience into our theatre, both a younger audience and more diverse audience. So we're working really, really hard at ensuring that we have a programme of work that is very, very different from what we programme in the Minerva and Festival Theatre that just gives you something else. And we've had some really great exploratory talks about what that might be and kind of anything goes. Um, we, we, have, we have a producer who's come over from Brighton to work with us on some of that programming. So a lot of it would be what you might experience in festivals. So that could be comedy, it could be burlesque, it could be um, circus, it could be um, music nights, just a bit of everything, all, and, and staggered through the day. So it'll be two weeks worth of programming like that, and then we'd also have um, Singing Heart Out for the lads in addition to that. Uh, and then the events programme will be rolled out over the next couple of months. And what we, what we believe, and I'm sure uh, you amongst the audience will probably have, will know more about this than me at my age knows, uh, that people tend to book, pe younger people tend to book quite late. So you don't necessarily know what you want to see till quite late on. And so we're holding our nerve. And you know, if we just put tickets on sale for our uh, loyal audience, our, our supporters, tickets would go very, very fast. So the idea is to make sure that we're holding tickets back to allow other people to be able to book those tickets. Mm, fab. And just before we invite everyone else onto the stage, um, Sausage Chichis is quite ingrained into like your life and, and mm. you know the last few years especially. What is so special about Chichester to you? What's your favourite thing about Chichester the theatre around the city as well? When I lived in Brighton, which as you can imagine was a really kind of cool place to live. And when I was in my 20s, it was a brilliant place to be. It was a very vibrant mm. city. Um, but weirdly, the theatre in Brighton wasn't that great. Mm. So I, you know, I, Chichester, Chichester Festival Theatre is very much part of the reason why I love being here. I think it's a really um, safe, lovely place to grow up as kids. I can understand why at a certain point it, it might be somewhere you want to, to leave. But, you know, I think it's a, a combination of access to London, which is only an hour and a half if you're, if you're going from Havant. It's so you, you can get there and back, you can go and see shows in the evening and get back. You've got the city and you've got, you've got the downs. I mean, I, you know, I'm a different generation to you guys. So what, my, what I think about it is probably very different from you. But I, you know, I, I, I love living around here. I love living around here. Grand. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Kathleen. Thank you. It's been lovely to chat about it. Um, so we're now going to invite the rest of our guests onto the stage. Um, so please give a warm welcome to my co-host for the next segment, Helena, uh, as well as our guests. I'm having to read it because there's quite a few. Um, Hugh Bonneville, Claire Burt, Rachel Lumbo, Kirsty McLaren and Scott Furlan. <laughs> Hello, hello, hello. So we've got quite a lot of us, and for audio-wise, it's going to be quite confusing voices-wise. So do you just want to all introduce yourselves, and maybe a little fun fact or something? I'll put you on the spot. Oh, Hi, I'm Helena. Um, I lead on the prologue scheme here at CFD. 
Uh, hi, I'm Kirsty, um, and I am playing Nikki, and this is my family in the Minerva, and this is our lovely set. <laughs> hi, I'm Claire. I'm playing Yvonne, her mum, uh, in the same thing. That's not a fun fact, it's just yeah, a fact. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Rachel, I'm playing Sean, and this is my family. Here's her auntie, her sister, and um, that is a fun fact. And I'm, <laughs> hmm. uh, I'm Scott, uh, and I'm playing Matt in This Is My Family, her brother. Uh, Not mine. And her nephew. <laughs> Hi, I'm Hugh Bonneville. I'm an unemployed actor. Fab. <laughs> 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 um, so to get us to get the ball yeah. rolling a bit, um, just ahead of us, open up some discussion. Um, I just thought we'd do some quick fire questions. So literally, just like first thing that comes in your head. So, Hugh, theatre or film? Theatre. Claire, musicals or plays? Plays. Um, Scott, contemporary or classic? Contemporary. Nice. Rachel, comedy or drama? Comedy. Kirsty, large cast or small? Small. Fab. I also have one here, anyone can answer it. Starter or dessert? Starter. Oh, dessert. Starter. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an interesting discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Fab, so going into our first discussion, the first topic that we've got from our prologue members and prologue ambassadors that wanted to be spoken about was women in theatre. Um, so Helena is going to be hosting this section of the podcast, um, who leads on the prologue scheme, as she said just now. So Helena, take it away. So there's been a lot of discussion, obviously, in the last few years about women in the industry, both on stage and off, and how that might be changing and what still needs to happen, in a oh. sense. Do, does it feel like opportunities are increasing? Uh, I would say as the oldest broad here, um, <coughs> it is changing, but there's a long, long way to go. As long as we still see mm -hmm. Juliet as a, a, a very pretty, very thin thing, that's th we're never going to change the fact that other people could play that part in Romeo and Juliet. And, and that applies to all women's parts. They're not the, the leading role in the theatre. doesn't have to be pretty and thin. Mm. It just has to be... Uh, vibrant and good and attractive. So that's, I think, a massive issue, mm. how we look, because we always seem to be judged mm. on that. And if we are judged on that, then let's broaden it and make the boundaries huger. Uh, I was in a show for <coughs> a couple of years, um, which was an all-female cast, and it was really interesting, because the things that we were doing on stage, we were swearing, we were taking drugs, I mean, you didn't actually see any of it, but you were taking, obviously you were like taking drugs and drinking apparently and just doing really bad things. And it was really interesting because had we been a cast of men, I don't think it would have been, it was talked about lots about the fact that these are just wild girls and it was really interesting. Had it been a cast of men, I think it would have been more like, oh, these lads are having a great time and you know, the boys will be boys. But as mm. soon as you put, as soon as you see that, on women, it's a really different. It, it's suddenly people. The perception is really different. Um, so I think until that is broken down, until we're not having this discussion, I don't think. Yeah. Is, is but but we are having this discussion, and yeah. that's that is a uh, you know a good step forward. Mm -hmm. On the plus side, I've just come off the back of a two-year job, where seventy percent of the cast and crew were female and that was phenomenal and it was written for women of a certain age um, and they were women of 40 and above and that was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So, and to see the demographic of the people who came to see the show were women of that age as well mm -hmm. um, who were then bringing their children and their grandchildren mm -hmm. um, and the minority in the audience were the men 
um, that was great to kind of witness that and to say actually mm. it was quite an empowering show to be part of. So it's quite interesting pro looking at the programming of this theatre because you know you asked the question about classical to contemporary to Scott. If you're looking at if we're talking about writers, when you're looking at classic plays, of course a lot of classic plays have been written by men, and there's no getting away from that. Mm. So your 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 choices are limited, which is why we we are looking at contemporary writers as much as we are classic writers because there's much more scope for female writers now mm. um, and we you know, proactively want to ensure that we have a, a balance of both men and women writers working in this theatre. Mm. If any of you do get the opportunity to go into London at the moment and go and see Amelia mm -hmm. and it will give you a prime example of how, um, of how women um, were perceived then and, how, and the the solidarity mm. of them mm. bringing, bringing females, it's a totally female cast and crew, and it is the most phenomenal show that celebrates women. I think we also find that from, from you know, off, off stage, writers aside, creators aside, that we, we um, not creators aside actually, when you look at the other uh, creative team members, director, um, director designers, mm. directors less so, but sound designers, lighting designers, composers there are far fewer women than there are men mm. going mm. into those professions and we're, we're trying to work out why that mm -hmm. might be it's tricky it's it's really hard so whilst we're really intent on finding a way of having a, a, a balance of our creative team members being uh, male and female the pool of people available to you is really limited so, you know, as theatres, we are encouraged and want to ensure gender equality, but it's, it's, it's very hard because however, however much you want to try and push for that, you, are, you, you struggle because of availability of people. And in terms of those production roles and programming decisions, how important is it both for you, Cathy, but also as actors having women in charge of buildings, having those top jobs filled by women and people from all walks of life? Feels, I mean, I think it's it's very it's very important. It's really important to, to know what uh, what you can achieve. I, I think it's it's key. Mm. I mean, I think it's easier in the role that I do. I think it's much more um, balanced in the administration and uh, role administrative roles than it is in uh, the creative roles within the theatre industry. Mm. Um, but I would hate anyone to, to think that they they couldn't go on and do this sort of job. Um, there, there are. You know, I've got. I've, I'm, I'm a mum with three children, and I've worked or I managed to work all the way through and do that, and still do this <coughs> position. So you know, anything is possible if you really want to do it. Mm. And what what would all of you say the biggest obstacles to both men and women entering the industry, and what can this generation who are coming up do to challenge those in a sense? I mean, the biggest obstacles are rejection. <laughs> rejection and absolutely no money whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, you have to that's, keep yourself... Yeah, I'd say that's nothing new. I mean, the, the no. sense of resilience. And uh, I always say to young people who, who if they've got three... Or if, they, if acting is one of three choices they're thinking about, do, do one of the other two, because mm -hmm. it has to be more than choice. It's yeah. not just an option. It is yeah. a driven thing. I yeah. think you'd all agree. Yeah. That it is, it is a, it's not just a sort of some sort of namby-pamby artistic thing of I need to do it. It is a compulsion. It is a calling, a vocation, because you do go through shit. Yeah. Um, and you do put up with uh, what might seem in intolerable sort of circumstances and pressures put on you to go the extra mile to, you know, to, to travel 
certain distances to get a job or be in a job, be away from home, and put up with the word no most of the time. 90% of your career is coping with rejection. And then occasionally you get those little glimmers of opportunity and that's where you can build to the next, to, to the next stage. Just going back, I and mean, one can only speak anecdotally and from one's own perspective, but the, the sense, going back to the thing about women in the business, I mean, there is, a, I perceive, a majority of women going into the business. There certainly was when I was starting mm -hmm. out. And yet there were more roles for men. Mm -hmm. I feel that that is gradually shifting mm -hmm. and that can only be a good thing. But the most key thing I've noticed in the 30 years I've been doing it is more women in key roles, in, in, but particularly yeah. in production. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people, um, uh, you know, for, for instance, Caro uh, Newling, when she was at the Donmar, um, a lot of the casting directors are, are, have always traditionally, for some reason, mm -hmm. been, been female uh, roles. Um, you know, Sonia, what Sonia Friedman's done in the West End mm -hmm. in, in bringing sort of what would used to have been fringe shows into the mainstream has been really key in terms of just broadening the horizons of, of what theatre can be in the, in the mainstream culture. So um, I think there's, there's really positive signs but I think the really key thing is if the parts aren't there for female actors to be written if they haven't been written they can't be played as easily mm -hmm. unless yeah. you're going to do an all, an all female Julius Caesar yeah. and, all, you know. um, and that's true mm -hmm. not just in, in, in terms of uh, male female that's true in terms of racial diversity mm. and, and other opportunities so it's really mm -hmm. to encourage I think you know those who might go into the uh, into the teaching world is to encourage our, our drama departments and our and our creative uh, arenas to um, to just en encourage bigger stories to be told on a, on a, on, a, on a broader canvas really um, be, it, be it female or, or or other areas of diversity mm. yeah. and have any of you done you talked about those gender swapped productions in terms of playing roles that were written for men. I played the dame in Panto. <laughs> <laughs> I played the shepherd as a female in Winter's Tale. Yeah, when I was at drama school, we did that. Yeah. Mm. And is it just a case of that there aren't enough roles or are they not interesting? I know there was a lot of talk when you did Flowers for Mrs. Harris about how refreshing it was to have a lead who was a middle-aged woman who it wasn't a romantic yeah love story in a sense yeah I, I have to say I, I mean I went in the dodgy time for an actress um, wh whereby they stop being a young person and suddenly become ancient apparently <laughs> uh, I lived in France and was bringing up children I skipped it, it was phenomenal and then I came back and uh, my career has never been better uh, I go from you know, watch it end swiftly in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have gone from role to role with better jobs, more interesting. Um, I mean, really, really friggin' interesting. And, and in terms of the... I haven't done gender swap, but I just did a play at the Old Vic whereby the key family uh, was split um, so that there were three sets of the, this family, one white, one Asian, one black. And it was to show the perspective from the, the three uh, different ethnicities, and 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 so those things are f fantastic to be part of. Whether people agree with that it was a good idea or not, and it's that we can do those things. And also, mm. yes, the parts aren't there for women unless they are written <laughs> recently, or there aren't as many. But the gender swapping thing does help a lot because it means that we suddenly don't have those obstacles of trying to find decent roles. Plus, uh, what you were saying about um, stuff having changed in that there are women running buildings and that I've, I never have felt, <clears throat> um, and, and maybe you don't, that 
that things are impossible for women. Mm. And mm. I think that's a big difference. It's, it's never occurred mm. to me not to go for something because I'm a woman. Mm. Um, yeah, and I do I think that's changed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm. I think as an industry, we're also embracing um, a, a family culture. So, you know, actors, it's interesting you saying, Claire, about uh, spending time in France when you, when you had children. There, there can be moments in your, in your life where you have to pull out, whether you're doing what I do or do, being, being an actor, where you're, you're physically having to pull out because you're having children, etc. And I think we're much more, as a profession, I think we're much, we embrace that much more and look for opportunities to, to support uh, women and men who have to bring up children. Mm. So um, yeah, it, it's particularly difficult with the likes of touring, for example, when we're taking shows out on the road. If if if, if uh, men or women have family commitment, there's a there's a period of time where it's quite difficult to be able to do that. And so we like to explore opportunities to to ensure that that is possible, whether that be through you know finance or just creating opportunity that that can be a little bit, or, or look at it, the, the way that one programs a week to, to ensure that you can get home and spend time with your children. Yeah. And I do, that, is, that is both men and, and women, yeah. um, <coughs> uh, that it applies to both. Fantastic, thank you. Um, and we're going to pass back to George for a quick We game. are indeed, yeah, thank you for <laughs> engaging in that conversation. I think it's such an important topic to speak about. Um, we're now going to head on to our quiz round, our game <laughs> round, where this is where um, <laughs> two audience members can win some prizes. Mm. Um, if you win, so there mm -hmm. you go. Um, so basically, I need two volunteers from the audience, preferably sat near to each other slash next to each other. Just pop up your hand if you'd like to get involved. It's just a quiz, just a quiz. Very far up. Yeah. <laughs> you so can you just let us know your name? Can you just let us know your name? Eleanor. Eleanor. Alicia. Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, if you girls could just come up with a buzzer between you, that would be fab. <laughs> While you're doing that, do I have two willing guests who would like to play in the quiz? I'll do it. Yeah, I Scott don't mind and Hugh. Yeah. Scott yeah, and Hugh? Right. Yeah. Scott and Hugh, okay. Fab. Yeah, we just said about women in theatre. <laughs> 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 Um, Fab, do you have a, oh and Scott and Hugh, you have to come up with a buzzer as well, so you can one do that. Uh, no, so have you got a buzzer for us? Beautiful, fantastic. Uh, and guys, do you have a buzzer? Ding. Oh, very good. Oh. Ding, ding, ding. ding. Great. Um, so, how it's going to work is we'll do, I'll, I'll, I'll ask a question and then you need to buzz in with the answer. If you get it correct, you get a point. If you get it incorrect, I'll pass it over to the next team. If neither you get it right, no points. That's that. Um, they are, there are some other questions like closest estimate. So, with that, you can both answer, but I'll only give you five seconds because it's getting tense. Um, you, you'll get the shape, so great. Um, and then we've also got to finish that quote. But with the finish that quote, you still need to buzz in. If you don't buzz in, you're not getting it, basically. That's that. Is there any is there any up for conferring? Potentially. Okay. Oh. Oh. We'll see. No, just to involve the women. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's important. And the old people. <laughs> and the old people, yeah. The women and the old people, yeah, that'd be great. Hey, do you four want to play with each play together? And then we can have the you whole. The oh. Yeah. It's getting We're all in. Okay. So, girls, what's your buzzer? Ha. Oh. And what's our buzzer? Ding. Ding. 
Somebody should remove the table and the war from me because I get really competitive. Right? Is everyone ready to play audience versus guests? Shouldn't Okay, I feel like we need some theme music or something, but it's all good. I haven't prepped that, so it's not Okay, so question one, closest answer wins. The Scottish play is by William Shakespeare, but how many plays did Shakespeare write? Ten. Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven is correct. Yay! One point to the guess. Well played, well played. Okay, question two. Which play is being performed in the Spiegel tent this year? Ting. I know. I can't do that. Somebody else. Anyone? Anyone? I think we're cheating a bit there. That's shocking. I mentioned it. I talked about it. Yeah. I think so. Your heart for the lads? So your heart for the lads is correct. Okay. You get an extra point for this one if you sing it beautifully, so it's great. <laughs> Getting into other models and now okay, um, finish that lyric. Oh what a ha Yeah. Beautiful morning. Yes, that is it. Oklahoma. Scores on the doors, so audience have two, guests have one. Okay. Trailers, two. How fun is this, am I right? <laughs> uh, right, uh, for This Is My Family, Tim Firth wrote the music, lyrics and book. Name another musical that this is true for. I've only got one down here, so if there are any others, get in this one please. please. <laughs> Ding! Yeah. Isn't it coming in, Oklahoma? No. Oh, that's not the bow, that's not... That's not the one I have written down. Can you, ask, can you ask the question again? Yeah. Um, for This Is My Family, Tim Firth wrote the music, lyrics and book. Name another musical that this is true for. Tim. Of Tim. As in... Calendar Girls. Tim. Tim. No, it's not. No. It's Tim Firth. Right, Tim Firth. Not by Tim Firth, by anyone. By anyone. By anyone. Oh, um... Ha! Yeah. Blood Brothers. Blood Brothers. Are you oh, yeah. I think they're Googling up there. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not having that. Okay, it's 3 1. The answers may have been correct, but I didn't have it written down. So I'll check afterwards. Probably not. Tragedies and Amistad, probably not. But. Okay, question five. In what year did the Queen visit Chichester Festival Theatre? Ting. Ting. Yeah. 2016. 2016. Yeah. 2016. Yes. 2016 is incorrect. Oh, 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 yeah. 2017. No. Ting. Ting. 2017. 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Helena, have you been keeping score? I can't remember. It's three, three, two, three, 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 Guess. Uh, oh, nine. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't somebody told me. That's not ambassador. Not ambassador. Not the ambassador. Oh, okay. no, I'll let you go again. Oh, no, I didn't. Forty-five. <laughs> Are you sure? It's a bit more than that, darling. It's more. I'm not. That's all right. You've had a go. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs>
guess up there? 120? 120. Are we going with 45? No, somebody else <laughs> would guess. I'm going to go for 350. Oh, it's actually 8,330. Oh, oh, so I win the point, isn't it? That means it's 3-3. Three, three. Oh. So we have to go for a tiebreaker. Okay. Hugh, I'm afraid you're exempt from this okay. oh. question. Oh. Oh. This can be a close assessment as well. How many episodes of Downton Abbey was Hugh Bonneville in? Oh. Do you actually know this? <laughs> oh my god. How many series is there been now? <laughs> Not including the new film. Can't you do it as a code? Four series. Thirty six. 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 52. So we do have prizes for you. We'll give them to you at the end. It's a little goodie bag. This is great. Um, Fab, thank you everyone for taking part in Audience versus Guest. Such a catchy time. Um, grand. So uh, we're now going to move on to our next discussion uh, panel. So can I invite Tim and Elsbeth up to the panel? Uh, uh, and these are two of our wonderful Prologue ambassadors um, who help us sort of share the scheme about and actually put events like this together. So, and we've got a whole host of them here. Too. How many um, yeah. Prologue ambassadors have we got? Nine. Nine. <laughs> 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 we get points for that. Yeah, we get points. So, the next discussion is going to be about beginning careers, which was another one of the big topics that Prologue members wanted to speak about. So, uh, Tim and Elspeth, can I know you ready? It's just a question to everyone, basically. Uh, was this always what you wanted to do with your career? Did you know exactly that you wanted to go into acting? I know Hugh, you mentioned that you have to have that drive for it, but was this always your, your one choice and your, like, your only option? Yes, to a point. I mean, you know, I think I wanted to be a nurse. Well, I couldn't add up, so that was useless. But um, it was, uh, yeah, there, well, there was always, I think, you know, when I was convinced, when I was five, that I was going to be Angel Gabriel because that's when you know cross playing was allowed, yeah. and um, and we were it was always girls that played Angel Gabriel, and I came home and I was a duck, and I was upset, <laughs> but I got all the laughs, and I thought this is what I want to do, yeah. <laughs> so um, I was about that, but there was um, I, I joined a youth theatre, and they were absolutely they really made me realise that's what I wanted to do. I joined at the age of thirteen, and I left just before I went to drama school at eighteen. And that really sort of penciled in for me, that's exactly what I want to do. There were other things I, I sort of put into, like he said, to prepare yourself mm. just in case. Um, because, you know, you know knockbacks are going to come. Um, but certainly when I was auditioning for drama school, I was getting into them very, e not easily, because of what you get through, but I got into all of the ones I tried for. So I think it was then that my mum and dad thought, okay, actually, she might be quite good at this, so we will support her. But I did have other things, and actually, I was a, a wine taster, a sommelier for 10 years. And I still, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she can come for dinner. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I do have another string to my bow that I do when, you know, mm -hmm. the, um, the obvious no turns up. <laughs> but it's, yeah, absolutely, what I always wanted to do, yeah. 
I mean, it's what I've always wanted to do as well. I, I remember, well, I, I, I say I remember it, it's because my mum's told this story so many times. <laughs> apparently, there was an audition for Oliver in the newspaper and apparently I, um, I said I wanted to go, I think I was about seven, I said I wanted to go and my mum was like, I can't take you, I've got something to do. So apparently I said, well, I'm going to get three buses, so I'm going to be going anyway, so you can either take me or you don't take me. <laughs> um, but, um, and then, I get. I mean, I guess I always loved it. It was always a hobby, um, but I kind of fell into it. I I went. I went to. There's a school in Scotland that um, is fully funded, so it's a normal school. But then there's a centre of excellence where you audition for, and they kind of you do like all your school subjects, but you also do drama classes, dance classes, singing, and. Um, they kind of steer you down the drama school route. Um, and then when it came to, to going to drama school, I got into the drama schools that I'd auditioned for, um, but I also got into uni to study English, Lit and French. And I was like, well, I can do that later on if acting doesn't work out. And mm -hmm. so I was like, yeah, drama school sounds much more fun <laughs> than uni. So I'll go there for a couple of years, see what happens, and kind of just fell into it. Um, it's one of these things that you need to you need a very thick skin <laughs> and you need to accept like we've been sp speaking about the nose the knockbacks do happen but if you i mean i'm very much a person who likes to think logically about things and have a have a like lists and i had <laughs> lists of things of like if i've not done this in so many years then i know that it's time to do something else but thankfully at the moment my lists are being met so i'm keeping going but like you said, it's very important to have something else that you do when you're not in work. Because um, I, I work as, I do fitness, fitness instructing as well. And it just, what it does is it takes your mind out of that place of, oh my goodness, I need to get a job. It's, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Um, because once you get into that cycle, that's when the acting thing doesn't become so fun. That's when it becomes a chore, saying I need to get work. Whereas if you know that you've got something else to fall back on, you can then somehow go into acting with a better frame of mind. I don't. I don't needing really, it less, yes. which yeah. is always a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. it's also the best fun in the whole world. Oh, yeah. Just, uh, apart from all the knockbacks and that, yeah. it's brilliant fun. Um, so that's all I have you to just add. Get to, play. I think to pick up on on, on uh, what you were saying about the sort of reality check thing, and the, and then you see about had the lists. I think it's important because when I was. There's so much luck. All of us would agree, I know, that there's so much luck in, in mm -hmm. our business of being in the right place at the right time, and X leads to Y, and that job, you know, might lead to that. Certainly, certainly true in my case. Mm -hmm. um, um, but also being being realistic. I think I saw a few friends of mine from drama school who were brilliantly talented, who didn't have the opportunities, mm -hmm. and ended up in their sort of late twenties, thirties, just being angry that they weren't mm -hmm. getting anywhere, and. I was very, like you, I had, a list of, I had a list of three things. I wanted to get my equity card in three years. I wanted to work at Chichester Theatre, my local theatre, in five years, and the Royal Shakespeare Company, which was my passion, uh, in, in ten years. Uh, and, it, and I told myself that if I didn't achieve those, then somebody was telling me something. Mm. Uh, and that I shouldn't, because no one else is going to give you this profession. I mean, you, you are the widget, you are the business manager, you are the yeah. uh, marketing person, you are everything. <laughs> you, um, and, uh, and people are often too kind to say to you, you should really go and do something else. Mm. Uh, and, and I saw a number of my friends getting more and more wound up 
and, and then retraining and, and going off and doing different things. So I think while the, while the drive and the passion is that it needs to come, be there, there also needs to be a level of reality mm. check of if I'm, if I'm 10 years down the line and I'm still, all I'm doing is feeling angry, am I in the right business? Mm. You know, I've got, as a human being, one has a lot to give and maybe it's not the right channel. I was going to say, I, I, Kirsty's journey was very, very similar to mine in that I was arts educational and did A-levels there, so I was doing that, following those two paths, and I did mm. what Kirsty didn't do, which was to follow the other path and go to university, and that, um, I, I, I wanted to be a performer, I really did, and I think the reason I didn't end up doing it was, as I said before, probably not good enough, but also that, that sense that it's quite a reactive profession, so there are a hell of a lot of actors who are really, really good who never mm. get that opportunity, mm -hmm. yeah. and you have to, you, you, these guys are right, you have to be incredibly thick-skinned, whereas, <laughs> but I, th I think, it is, I don't know how many, how, how, who wants to be a performer here? Who, who's interested in being a performer? Oh, wow. See, most people want to be performers, and, 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 and what I would say to you, and these guys would say something different I, I imagine is that you you mustn't forget that if for any reason you don't end up being a performer that's your only option mm. yeah. in this profession because there are so many other mm -hmm. opportunities and that can be really really rewarding you know and, and creative opportunities whether that be directing or designing or producing there are other other chances for you because they're writing great parts for women or writing yeah. great parts for women or writing absolutely. <laughs> and what I'm and what I'm really encouraged by is how many different courses are now available when we were when I was younger God, there, was, there just wasn't anything so it's yeah. either drama school or or you know there, there, there were there were some drama degrees, but you were quite limited. Whereas now there are so many different mm. courses that you can mm. you can go for, um, which is worth remembering. But also, I want to say like I, we, obviously we're all very positive about, but we, there's been a lot of like make sure you've got a backup. Mm. Also, like go for it. Yeah. Don't yeah. give up now. Yeah, but Scott, you've only just finished and you're yeah. straight into your <laughs> you're not angry yet. <laughs> you're not angry and bitter yet, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> this is Scott. Uh, when, when did you graduate? I finished my A-levels in August. There you go. He's, yeah, there you go. So straight in. Yeah, yeah. Are you here? <laughs> I ask myself this every day. Every day. I don't know what to mean. So, how important do you think it is to go to drama school as opposed to go straight into a role from A-levels? There, so, I mean, there are so many options. Because, I mean, I was just lucky. We were talking about luck. Um, I mean, I was just so lucky. At 15, I got an agent um, from a coffee meeting. That, I mean, that's luck. And I had happened to be in a film um, <laughs> that was a bonus. Fine. <laughs> in, like, I went to the audition when I was 12, and at 12, it doesn't matter whether you can act or not, it's whether you look blonde and cute. And it, that meant I had that on my CV, which meant at 15 I got an agent. And, and that meant uh, at 18, when, I was, when everyone else was doing uni, I thought, do I go to drama school or do I act? Do I just go straight for it and try? And I said, I'll give it a year. This is my, this is my gap year, this is my, my trial year. Um, <laughs> And the first job I got was at the Chichester Festival Theatre, which is insane. I mean, that's insane. It's, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> no, he doesn't. But also, my best mate, Harry, has, has just gone to Rose Bruford, and I'm living through him, because I'm so proud of him. Uh, in my head, that's a bigger achievement than I'll ever do, because he worked so hard, um, and he didn't get an agent when I did, and I, he was mm. sad about that, and I would be like, "Oh my God! Like your work, you're so much better than me." Uh, he's so talented, and, mm -hmm. and again, it was just because I was in the right place at the right time. Mm. Uh, but he's mm. gotten to Rose Bruford, I'm really proud of him, and 
he'll come out in three years and work more than I will. But over this three years, obviously, I'm going to work more than him because he's going to be at drama school. But then when he comes out, that's my career done. Um, so. Do you think you might go to drama school? I think I will, yeah. Only because, and I was saying this in the post-show talk, I don't think I'm very good. So I'm going to go to drama school and get the confidence more than anything. The training in my head is second to none. You can't, there's nothing better than... The, the Shakespeare I want to get. The confidence the might yeah. come with the work, though. Mm, yeah, yeah. A load of actors aren't that confident. Yeah. But That's why we go and play other people all day. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. A lot yeah. of time. But I just mean it's, so, I mean, it's so beautiful, it's so important to... And I was talking to a lot of... Uh, some friends came last night, and they were saying they did this horrific show for their third year show <laughs> that was like... Three quick changes in 30 seconds. And I was like, if, uh, but I'm doing this show and thinking, oh my God, this is horrifically hard, running around and that quick change at the end. Mm. Whereas they'll have done that, come and do this and go, oh my God, this so is easy. Mm. <laughs> I mean, so I, I, there is, there's positives of jumping straight in and having the best time of my life and meeting these incredible people and, and getting to do these things. But also there is also a positive in, in going and getting the training and getting that confidence and the experience that I, I haven't got yet. But I, I didn't go to drama school. In fact, I left school before doing GCSEs, mocks or anything. Uh, and I just went out and worked. And I did feel for a while, uh, well, I had a chip on my shoulder for a while because everybody seemed to come fully equipped with tools that I knew nothing of. Um, but then, which do I say to you? Then, you know, with each job, you get tougher <laughs> and, yeah. and you... you and here I still am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think uh, uh, my own experience was doing loads of plays at school and loving that. And the National Youth Theatre was the big gear change for me because suddenly you're, you're working with kids from all over the country who like putting on plays rather than who've been told to do it as detention or something. Mm. Um, and that was, that was remarkable. You're meeting people from different walks of life, different yeah. backgrounds as well, but all with a common interest. That was really formative. Yeah. And I did go to drama school and I didn't learn a flipping thing because, uh, and I left, because in those days you needed an equity card and, and uh, frankly, I just did the maths. I thought if, 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 there, if there are X thousand drama students emerging in July, all looking for the same number of equity cards, I might as well start trying to get one now. Yeah. So I left in the, in the spring term and went and held a spear and understudied at the open air uh, theatre at Regent's Park. But, um, but I didn't learn much from drama school because it, my particular drama school, which is now shut down, um, <laughs> which may explain a lot, um, basically Webber Douglas, it was, um, uh. it's, it's the view there in the postgrad year that I was doing, because I'd already used up my degree, you know, my funding for degrees at university. Um, it's all changed nowadays. But, um, uh, was that, oh, you're not ready, you, you people aren't ready to be seen in front of an audience. Well, I'd done National Theatre, I'd done Edinburgh, I'd done public mm. plays, and I think mm -hmm. you learn most by being, being in yeah. a show. Yeah. Yeah. And around other yeah. actors. And around other yeah. actors, and I learned more understudying at Regent's Park, and more yeah. be, playing a tiny part, a walk-on part of the National Theatre, standing mm. in the wings watching Great Gambon actors. and, and yeah. Judy Dench and Anthony Hopkins and people. You, know, you learn from watching other people, your peer group and your, and your betters yeah. and your elders and that sense of apprenticeship I, 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 I was found invaluable. So, there are many different routes into this profession. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For, for me, drama school, I mean, I was, Scotland's a bit different in that um, I left school at 17, but I'd finished all of my school, I'd just turned 17 and that was me done, you can't do any more. And um, so I went to drama school at 17. Um, had I tried to get into the business then, I would have been way too young. Mm. Um, 
I mean, but it meant that I was leaving drama school at 20, which nowadays I think about it, I think I might have got more out of drama school had I been that little bit older. But what it allowed me to do, I didn't necessarily, I mean, I, I would honestly say that everything I've learned about being an actor has been since I graduated and has been through the jobs, like you've said. Um, but what drama school allowed me to do was have that three years to, I suppose, grow up, but also to have a bit more time just to play a bit more, mm. as opposed to having to worry about rent and where's the next job coming from. I, I wouldn't have been ready to go straight into the business. But then I, I was coming from a family who'd had nothing ever to do with the theatre and didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, my, my family still don't quite know what I'm doing. They just, <laughs> they come to shows and they think it's great, but they don't quite know what to do. Um, but um, that's more what I use drama school for, I think, was that growing up period. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self then, if you were oh. just starting out at the very beginning? Pay your taxes. <laughs> I, uh, mine would be know your worth because you're worth knowing. That would be mine. Very sweet. Yeah. Top that. <laughs> you're welcome to use that. <laughs> um, I suppose I'd say, yeah, just believe in what you're capable of. Um, and it's, you know, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a pressure around exam. There's always been a pressure around your exams and the importance of academic study and getting good grades. And, and of course, that is very important, particularly looking for backup. But don't believe that that's it. Yeah. That you know, there's there's a big big world out there, and you, the most important thing is to do what you want to do. To believe that you can do what you want to do. Um, that's not an excuse now that we've got to study for A levels. Spend a few <laughs> study for A levels, but it, just just be aware that you know you, there, there there is more to life than that, and you can spend a lot of time getting very very stressed about that. But um, you know, I, I wasn't the most academic person, and 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 it didn't stop me doing what I wanted to do. I think a sense of perspective. There was a time. I mean, just doing just doing. I've just been doing Shadowlands in the main house, and. Uh, we had some very touching letters from people who'd uh, been through bereavement. The, the, one of the central themes of the towards the end of the play is bereavement, and um, and indeed during during Downton, when we Downton Abbey, we had lots of letters from people who had watched it as a family, and lots of people who'd been watching it as a cathartic experience because it brought the family together, and people had, had lost people while they were watching it, or had watched you know, on deathbeds or, or wedding nights or whatever. I don't know. There was a sense of it actually affecting people. Some of the work we do does affect people in a positive way. Mm. But I think when I look back on my very young self as an actor, you're not saving lives. It's not, mm -hmm. the, it's not the be all and end mm. all. And I think I sacrifice sometimes friendships, relationships, because all I could think about was the work. And actually I think it's really important, even as a young age starting out, find the balance between it being a passion and an obsession. Um, I think there's a healthy balance to be found. What you do do, you do give great delight to people, hopefully, and you can uh, affect lives in a, in a positive way, but um, don't destroy lives because of it. <laughs> yes, that's a good, really good point, actually. Yeah. And finally, to wrap up, um, what can theatres do to support emerging artists, do you think, or young people who want to get into the industry but don't know how? I think we need to be accessible. I think it's important that we're accessible. So, um, you know, it's still, there is still a slight stigma attached to theatre in particular as an industry that it, you know, tickets are expensive, it's, it's, it's for a certain demographic. I think the important thing is that we 
ensure that we are as inclusive as possible and open our doors uh, in, in, in the best possible way to ensure that people uh, feel that it's something that they can be part of. And it's, just to chip in on that, I mean, having grown up here, uh, you know, there was no prologue thing when I was growing up in my teens. I came because my parents loved theatre. I was introduced to theatre because it came from, from that generation above me being interested. You have great opportunities now, and this prologue scheme, I think, is wonderful, and mm. it's great if you can spread the word and encourage others. Uh, and the, and the, you know, they've the tried to make the ticket prices accessible and the schemes accessible, so the more you guys can spread the word, the more theatre will, will want people like yeah. you to perform in it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Grand. Well, thank you all so much for joining on that. Um, if we open up to questions now, those people who had questions, uh, Hannah, if you could run a mic ASAP. <laughs> Hello. Um, so there's a few of us here that are just about to graduate from Chichester in musical theatre. So if there was one piece of advice you could give to us in terms of auditioning, what would it be? Ooh. Auditioning for musical theatre? Yes. Or plays or anything. Just, just auditioning. Auditioning in general. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I love be, be yourself. Don't be what you think they want you to be because odds are odds are you are what they want not a version of you it's taken me a long time to realize that myself so i learned something massive actually which was and i thought this i mean for i i was i did some acting as a child but so for like six years i was going in thinking they're the the top and they're the people you want to impress but the casting directors want to cast you because mm. mm. that's their job and if they cast you they well, they get paid, they, they've done their job. <laughs> so, so they are looking out for you. Um, go in there and, and if you can't make the audition, don't be embarrassed to say, can I change the time? Because that's not gonna affect how they see you. Because they want you to be really good, they want to cast you. Um, and they, they might have asked you to be in the room or, or your agent might have got you in there, but they really want you to, to, get, to do good. So if you feel nervous, tell them. If you have a sore throat, tell them. Don't, don't be like, well, this is how I always am, and you sing with this croaky voice. Let them know, because they care. Um, also, I, th I think that they look, the, the directors look for people they want to work with. Mm. So uh, that's a good one to bear in mind. Not to be too eager or any of those things, just, just somebody who is flexible and who can play about with stuff with them and that they want in a rehearsal room to have a good energy. Mm. That's sort of not helpful, is it? It's like saying, play sexy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. It's been nice. Another question. Hello. Um, what would you say scares you the most about, you know, the career and the journey that you guys are going on? All at, you know, different, po uh, different points of this journey. What scares you the most? Uh, let me put it another way. I did a film about uh, 10 years ago with a very well-known actor senior gentleman, a knight of the realm, and we were walking back one day um, to the hotel, and he looked quite tired, and uh, I, said, uh, I said, what are you doing next, are you having a rest? He said, oh no, I've got to go back and do reshoots on this, then I'm starting a play then, and then I'm going to do a film, and I said, if you don't mind me saying, you look a little bit tired, why didn't you have a break? And he said, because the phone might stop ringing. Mm -hmm. yeah. I thought, oh my goodness, this is an actor in his 70s who is you know, esteemed mm. around the world, and he thinks the next job is the last one. That fear never leaves you. Yeah. So that will always be there, that sense of you are an, a self-employed person and you're only as good as your last job. But again, going back to that sense of the work-life balance, 
I think uh, if you can just uh, find that, you know, balance uh, while obviously thinking about how the heck am I going to pay the bills, um, which is why being a sommelier is a very good backup. If you've got mm. <laughs> <laughs> or moving to France. Or moving to France. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I, I think. Uh, uh, I can't quite remember the, what the question was. Remember that was uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> what's scary? Yeah, what's scary? Scary. The scary thing is that you, that you are that, that, that when will the when will the jobs run out? But I think if you manage to keep going, then it becomes a law of averages as well. I've managed to be work, working mm. for a certain time. I haven't yet punched the director. There's a good <laughs> chance I might be employed again. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I think as well. You know that with. Uh, to the drama school I went to when I was a third year I could see myself in the first year so as in the person who mm. would be the next me if that makes mm. sense so you always know there's somebody ready to take your job and that's, <laughs> that's petrifying yeah. whereas in a, in a in a normal job if you want to call it that you've got that mm -hmm. scope for promotion and you hope that within your career that every the next job you do is a promotion mm -hmm. but you know there's another 50 waiting so that is always a fear it's it's always a fear i'm terrible for going to a casting and having a look who else is on the list mm -hmm. <laughs> which you know I, I, you have to stop yourself doing because sometimes you look and you see names and you go i'm gonna open now <laughs> um but you, but if you go in with that attitude you won't so you have to just go in and go, well, you know what? This is the best I can do, and I hope it's all right for you. Mm. Um, because what you've got right now is the best I can do. And if you don't give your best on the day, it's okay. It's okay. You know, it's, uh, you can come out and go, shit. You know, because we're always better in the bedroom, so to speak. But it's, um, <laughs> what you do when you're doing, when you're doing your scene in the bedroom, you think, oh, great. What's the matter with you? He's a teenager. <laughs> um, but when, literally, you are. There, there, was a, there used to be, there was a, there's the Actors' Centre in London and they used to do a class called I Was Brilliant in the Bedroom. And that was when you're looking at your script and you're looking at your brilliant when you're doing at home, you get in there, awful. <laughs> and you think, well, what's the matter? I was brilliant in the bedroom. I was brilliant. So I think it's okay to say to yourself, you don't have to be brilliant in the bedroom all the time. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's okay. It's okay to not get it right. You know, very often they're the job you get, which is mad, yeah. And you, you can also have that fear of uh, the constant fear, which is the witches in your head. That's another yeah. big yeah. fear. Little devil which is telling there. you you're dreadful. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know the words. <laughs> you don't know why you were employed. Those witches aren't very good or helpful. Yeah. But that's a given that we all have those. Huh. Great. I think we've got about enough time for one more question. Hello. Hello. Um, what do you think the future of theatre is. So like you mentioned Amelia, I went to see that. It was amazing, but there was barely anyone in the audience. It's and it's, it's, it's actually it? heartbreaking. And you look at London, obviously not here, it's amazing that we have prologue, but it's 60 quid a ticket to see mm, something like that. that. And that's yeah. ridiculous. Um, so yeah, do you think that will change or? No. Um, no. <laughs> I think one of the problems, I mean, certainly with having toured for the last two years, one of the things that I find the demographic of the people who are coming to see the shows in literally every sort of major city in the UK and Ireland that I visited, um, what you have um, are a television audience coming to see you. So they are very, very fond of shouting out <laughs> if they're not approving, or um, they'll talk to somebody, sweets. 
mm-hmm. is a huge issue for me in the theatre. Mm-hmm. Please, somebody design a suite that doesn't make a noise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, rappers. Um, the phone. I don't know who doesn't listen. Please turn your phone off. Um, when we went to see you the other day, four phones. Four phones in the space of two hours. Mm-hmm. It's just, just turn it off. Mm-hmm. Turn it off. Um, but I don't think it will change. And I hope it will. I find it really interesting. I, and just this, it's a conundrum, really, because it is expensive to go to the theatre. And, and we are, you know, theatres and producers are trying really hard to address that so that you, know, you have prologue schemes, etc. Yeah, you go and see Take That on Sunday and you pay £90 for a ticket and there are 32,000 people there. Mm. So, and that's a different dem- demographic. So people will spend money and I, I have to keep believing in with what I do that we can find a way to keep bringing audiences in. And I'm not, I, money is definitely a, ma- a factor. But it is also about this accessibility thing, that there is a sense that theatre is for the privileged, for want of a better word. And so it's a case of creating an environment where, particularly with contemporary shows, you're doing something that people feel comfortable, where they feel comfortable coming into the theatre. And, you know, the Arts Council have historically spent a great deal of time and money trying to help theatres to do that. Mm. It is a problem and particularly in the regions I think it's a, yeah. a real issue. Joan Littlewood was doing it years ago. Yeah. Yes she was. But yeah. it's just nobody even knows who she is now. Yeah. She was you know, site specific, she would just pick anywhere, mm. choose something to do and then get pe- ordinary people in to do it and mm. it was it was extraordinary what she was aiming for but she was a woman in the wrong time, working mm. class and uh, people yeah. don't even know who she is now. Mm. But it is, I do think it's possible, mm. yeah, mm. because otherwise it's too bleak yeah. Yeah, to, to think is. otherwise. It's about changing I hope perceptions so. as Sorry. well, yeah. isn't it? I mean, yeah. there's very much a perception that theatre is for a certain demographic. Mm. Yeah. And the more, that work, the more the work becomes about young people, the more the work becomes about, about society, about issues, yeah. or about, then hopefully we can change the fact that it's a very specific demographic. Uh, just going back to the original question, I think I just thought about it, and so I have a, a quite a good working relationship with the other palettes in London, in Victoria, um, and I just kind of thought about a position I have, which they asked. So I did a, a gig there, someone was singer songwriter, um, and they asked me to do a musical, uh, just write one and do it. And the fact that they asked me, and the fact that I can just put on a gig, and I'm 19, I was 18 when I did it for the first time. I just put a gig on in their mm. studio space and I didn't make any money and I wasn't aiming to make any money. Um, I sold tickets at like the minimum price, it was like five pounds. They said I couldn't sell less than that. So I sold them for five pounds um, and I gave out loads of tickets and I didn't make a loss, which is basically all I aimed for. Um, <laughs> but I got loads of friends out to mm. Victoria on March 9th of 2018, which was the one day in March that the snow blizzard came, <laughs> um, which means 20 people didn't turn up, but out of 100. But I got 80 people out into London. And the fact that I, at 19, um, I'm not the richest of people, um, and the fact that I can do that and put that on as a young person and bring young people out to the theatre. I know it was a gig and it was music, but now I run a gig for emerging, I then turn that into emerging artists. 
So I get my friends to come out and play gigs. Um, and I can do that. Mm. And anyone can do that. And I realised that I did that by just asking them. And all you have to do is ask, because mm -hmm. people want to do that. I think the beauty of yeah, the future of theatre yeah. and the future of live theatre and live performance is that people do want to change it. And I think, you know, I think as, as theatres, and that, it, uh, it just mm. shows you how supportive theatres can be of people wanting mm. to come into the industry, our greatest threat is the education system and, and funding for Absolutely. the arts. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if there's going to be a real worry, it's going to be around that <coughs> and how much of a priority the arts is. Is, is given at, uh, at, at the point at which you're in, you're in your education because there isn't a great, of, a great deal of support for it. Um, so if you, if you lose that, if there's no funding for it, if those courses dry up, then I don't quite know where it goes. Mm. But that's a great message to, to leave with as well is that the fact that there are opportunities out there and to go and sort of just send off an email, that's all it takes just to start that conversation up basically. Um, and you know, if you've got an idea, just go out and try and make it, mm -hmm. like do it, why not? Um, and that basically concludes our special episode of the podcast today. Thank you all so much for joining us. You've been a great audience. Thank you to our fabulous guests um, and it's been great chatting to you all. Um, and if you follow us on Twitter, we're at CFT Prologue or the main Chichester FT as well. Tweet us, let us know what you thought about um, this podcast event. And for one final time, a huge thank you to Kathy Bourne, Hugh Bonneville, Claire Burt, Rachel Lundberg, Scott Folan, Kirsten McLaren and our Prologue hosts. Thank you very much. <laughs>